Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of the Miss Independent Show. We have two months left of 2022. Two months left to either slay your fitness and finance goals or two months left to keep making excuses. So let me ask you, are you done making excuses? And are you ready to step into the best version of yourself? This isn't an ad for anything, by the way. I'm just, I'm just asking you. But if you said yes, what's stopping you from getting there? Why are you holding yourself back? I always say motivation is fleeting. Self-discipline and systems are what keep you going. So what systems are you building to keep yourself on track? I'm happy to be an accountability partner for you. I'm going through a bit of a fitness journey myself. So if you need some extra motivation or somebody to help hold your hand while you're going through a transition, I'm happy to do it. But to give you some insight, I'm actually going to Mexico for Christmas. I bought a package via some new welcome bonus points I got for signing up for a new credit card. A little foreshadowing for you for today's episode. And I realized I have two months left to get back into bikini shape. I mean, I do have a wedding and a bachelorette and, you know, all this travel coming up next year, but Christmas is coming first and I need to be in shape for that. So what I've been doing to stay on track with my goals is eating clean, eating lots of protein, cycle syncing my workouts. There's some awesome information on how to do this online. I feel like cycle syncing is all the craze right now for all my female fin dependents. It's basically matching different workouts to different times in your hormonal cycle. And I've been trying to go on a hot girl walk every day, which does wonders for my mental health, but some days you just get busy. I've also been really getting into Pilates. I don't know how I'm just hopping on the bandwagon. Like I feel like Pilates has been around for years, but maybe it's just taken off because of the whole Pilates girl aesthetic that's on TikTok. But anyways, Pilates is awesome. I'm a big, big fan, and I wish I started it earlier. Another really, really big thing that I've been doing is cutting back on alcohol. So in September, I did a sober September. I didn't drink at all outside of my birthday weekend, and that was really beneficial. But since then, I've really tried to limit myself to one glass of wine per week, and that's been going pretty well. It's I've been doing that consistently. I save a ton of money on alcohol when I'm out and when I eat out in general, and overall, it's been really good for my health. So that's a little health journey update for you guys. Finance-wise, I'm still very focused on building my real estate portfolio. I definitely want to take advantage of the drop in prices. I'm just trying to time this properly and I'm trying to time the opportunity. So obviously I'll keep you guys posted if I make any transactions. I've been looking at a few different markets, but my hypothesis is there are going to be a few more rate hikes. It shouldn't be this year because there aren't any more planned, but who knows? And inflation isn't slowing down. We're not really seeing signs of that yet. So in order to keep curbing inflation, there are going to be more rate hikes. And what I'm trying to do is find this balance between buying something at a lower price because prices have dropped significantly and find a balance between higher mortgage costs because of the higher interest rates. So finding that balance is tricky to say the least, but trying to do that. One of the biggest pillars to actually being able to buy real estate is having good credit. I check my credit score all the time through an app called Credit Karma. I'm going to link the app in the show notes so you can check yours. The last time I did it, I had an 820 credit score. This was like a couple weeks ago, which I'm super proud of. 
And the only reason why it's so high is because I make almost all my purchases on my credit card. I have pre-authorized payments set up for pretty much all of my bills. I pay my credit card amount in full every month. I never carry a balance because I don't want to pay unnecessary interest. And my philosophy is if I can't afford it, I don't buy it. Period. Period. Every time I see someone buying something with their debit card, I cringe a little bit on the inside. Because there's absolutely zero reason why an adult who's capable of building credit history should be making purchases on a debit card. Debit or like checking accounts are for having money flow into them. If you think about it like a basket, it's like a basket that your paycheck goes into. For purchases, ideally you want to use a credit card. Credit cards are not evil. Okay, let's let's break that down first. Credit cards are not evil. People have misidentified credit cards as evil because they've gone through having their credit be deteriorated by not paying off their bill. And sometimes if you have access to a lot of credit, it's tempting to be able to make purchases that you can't afford. But if you live by that one very, very important rule, if I don't have the money to cover my credit card statement that month, I don't buy it. But credit cards have incredible rewards that if you're using your debit card, you're not taking advantage of. 80% of credit cards offer some type of rewards program. And based on a study that I looked at from Payments Canada, 60% of Canadians said that that is their biggest criteria for deciding what card to choose. So before I go into different types of credit card perks, first let's look at how do you choose the right card? And there's six different types of credit cards, which we'll look at. Rewards cards, cashback cards, travel cards, business cards, student cards, store cards, six different types. And how do you pick the right one? Obviously, that's going to be a personal decision because the things that you value are going to be different from the things that other people value. And if you're a student, frankly, you don't have that many options. Your goal as a student is to build credit so that you can qualify for one of the other types. So you need to get a student credit card and then you build your credit so you can qualify for either a cashback card, a rewards card, whatever you're looking for later. Also a pro tip for building credit is focusing on keeping your credit utilization below 30%. Meaning if your limit is 1,000, you try to keep your spending on that card below $300 a month and you pay that off in full. So that way when the bank asks you if you want to increase your credit limit, you say yes. And if they don't ask you after having the card for some time, you can always ask them. But that's the key is making sure that your credit utilization is under 30% and paying off your card in full every single month. Another easy one is business cards. Like if you have a business, you want to get a business specific card so you can charge business expenses to it. And that helps you with write-offs. Where things get a little bit more complex is with rewards cards, with cashback cards, and with travel and store cards. Store cards are helpful if you're a frequent shopper at that specific location. So if you shop at Costco all the time or Amazon, like I love both Costco and Amazon, that's why those examples come to mind because both of them offer a store credit card program. And Costco in Canada at least only accepts MasterCard. They don't accept Visa. They don't accept Amex. In the US, they do accept Visa and online they accept Visa. But in Canada, things are a little bit different. And I, I don't want to spend too much time focusing on specific geographic markets. With this episode, I want to talk general benefits and programs that you should look into. Because frankly, if we look at specific types of credit cards that offer benefits, one, that 
offer might not be available any longer and every single card is going to be different. So it's really important that you do your research and understand what the right option is for you, right? Like I said, everything is going to be personal here. But if you're an avid Costco shopper, you might want to consider getting their Costco specific credit card, which gives you cash back on purchases that you make at Costco. And so if you're spending a lot of money on Costco gas, on groceries and online purchases at Costco as well, all of those you're going to earn cash back on that you can spend back at Costco. Or there's a trick to this. You can actually redeem your cash back by buying the most cheap item in the store. So like a set of bananas, for example, and then you can get the cash back in actual cash that you can use anywhere else. Same goes for Amazon, not the cashing out bananas part, obviously, but a lot of different retail stores have credit cards or cashback and rewards points. Wayfair is another one that comes to mind. If you look at your statements and you see specific places that you're constantly spending money at, it might be worth considering getting some sort of cashback option for that specific store, but that wouldn't be your first credit card or your first option if you're looking at getting a new card. That actually reminds me back in the day, my grandma had a Bay and a Sears MasterCard because she exclusively shops at the Bay. And I guess it made sense for her at the time. Or I also wonder if the cashier tricked her into getting one and lured her into it by telling her about all the amazing cashback options. And that's what made her get one. Who knows? Who knows? But store cards, in my opinion, aren't the best in comparison to what else is out there. If a store card's one of your first, it's probably not the best go. It's not bad to diversify and have multiple cards, which is something we'll talk about, uh, especially if you have multiple cards for different reasons. But the first one that I would go with, if you're differentiating and you're a student and you're looking to get your first card outside of a student card, first one I would go with would be either a cashback or rewards card. Then I would rank travel and then store. Cashback's probably the best because if you're transitioning from a regular student card, you get hard-earned cash back in your pocket. And the cash back that you get is usually on stuff that you're spending on anyways. So things like groceries, pre-authorized purchases, eating out, gas, like I said, it's going to vary card to card. Sometimes it's even tied um, on a tier system where you get more cash back on certain types of purchases. So like groceries, more for gas, whatever. Every card is going to be a bit different. But most of these cards have an annual fee. And if you're spending roughly more than $10,000 a year, you're going to get that annual feedback and rewards. So that's cashback. A lot of cards also have a welcome points program. And like I said, I'm going to refrain from talking about specific cards because things are going to change and I want this to be static and you can hop in and listen to it at any point. But I also have listeners from all over the world. So that's why I'm not focusing specifically on Canada. I do have a bunch of TikToks for the best types of cards in Canada. Maybe I'll do one for the States as well in a little bit. Let me know if that's something that you're interested in. But the point of this, like I said, is to show you how to find value in, dif in different cards and to help you do your own research. The big question to ask yourself is, do I want cash that I can apply to my balance every year or every couple months? Or do I want rewards or points that I can get free stuff with, like free travel. So I'll give you guys an example of how I would rank and use different types of cards. I have a cashback card. I've earned about $5,000 in cashback on my main credit card. And I've been hoarding this cashback for like three years now. 
and I'm saving it for my honeymoon. I want to treat myself. I want to apply it to my balance for a really nice experience that we're going to remember. Cashback is the most flexible because you can apply it to anything. Like you can apply it to a gondola ride in Venice or a suite in a hotel or an ATV trip or a nice bag. Like you're literally not limited. It's just money you get back on your statement. So you can apply it to anything. Rewards cards and travel cards are not the same. I mentioned spending on travel, but like I said, with cashback, you can spend on anything. Where rewards cards and travel cards are going to be different is travel cards will have you collect points for specific types of purchases, mainly travel and other day-to-day expenses sometimes, and then they give you a way to access and spend those points. Some companies have a storefront through a travel booking partner, like Expedia, for example, where you can actually redeem those points. But what most people don't realize is these travel sites will usually jack up the price a little bit because people have nowhere else to spend their points. So ideally, you want to look for a travel card that doesn't have its own travel booking platform because that way they're not going to pigeonhole you into booking something slightly more expensive. It's not a major difference, but if you think about it, Expedia is partnering with a financial institution. In order to run that integration, in order to run that partnership, there's costs associated with that. So it needs to be valuable for both parties. And that's why, you know, in in typical business, there needs to be some sort of profit generated there. That's why prices on those pro, uh, and that's why prices through that platform for the same package might be a little bit more. Another thing you definitely, definitely want to look at if you do travel quite a bit is the foreign transaction fee. Most cards have a 2.5% foreign transaction fee for purchases that are made in a foreign currency. So if the card is issued in Canada and you're spending in USD, they're going to charge you 2.5% on top of whatever that purchase is. And unless your card specifically offers no foreign transaction fees, you're likely getting charged a little bit extra on top of that exchange rate when you're buying something. There's very, very few cards that have no foreign transaction fees. I made a TikTok on this recently for Canadian-specific ones, and I actually just signed up for one of those that doesn't have a foreign transaction fee, again, because I'm doing a lot of traveling because I'm going to be making purchases in foreign currencies. But travel cards outside of that have two really big perks, and the first is travel medical insurance. A lot of people don't think about this, but when you travel outside of your home country, you you might incur medical expenses. And healthcare can be very expensive in some countries. In Canada, we definitely, definitely take this for granted. Most travel cards are going to cover you if you need medical attention up to a certain amount. Usually it's up to 30 days. And in for most cards, they'll cover you if you're younger than 65. There are very few that will cover you if you're over 65. And the coverage in most cases is going to be anywhere from a million dollars to five million in coverage. Travel medical insurance usually doesn't cover extreme sports too. Sorry to break it to all my fellow skiers and snowboarders out there, but those types of accidents usually aren't covered by travel medical insurance. Trip cancellation and trip interruption insurance is also another really big perk that travel cards offer. So if you need to cancel your trip before you actually depart or return home before your return date, you can usually get reimbursed with trip cancellation or interruption insurance. There's usually a cap on how much you can get back, and you can only make a claim if there's a qualifying reason 
that you have to come home early. So unfortunately, if there's a death in the family or a job loss, if there's some sort of circumstance that requires you to come home. In most cases too, to qualify for your trip cancellation and interruption insurance, you need to charge all or most of your travel expenses to your credit card. And those expenses are going to include flights, hotels, cars. So you need to read your credit card certificate or your credit card insurance and the fine print, read the fine print to find out exactly how your coverage works. And another one on on the insurance side, this is something that I'll dive into a little bit later in terms of other types of perks that credit cards offer. But another one that's becoming more and more popular is trip delay insurance. So let's say you book a trip, you get to the airport and you booked a Delta flight and it's delayed five hours, which happens. Hell annoying when it does, but some cards will cover you. Let's say that delay causes you to miss a connection flight. If that happens, they'll cover the cost of your hotel, your Uber, and any other necessary costs that that delay causes you. But it has to be within reason. So if you try to put like a $500 room service charge on your card and you stay at the Four Seasons, they're not going to reimburse you. It has to be within reason. And it also comes secondary to any voucher or refund that you received from the airline. That's... That's pretty much it on my spiel on travel cards. I want to talk about rewards cards next because rewards cards can be a bit more broad. They're not just travel specific, but they give you points. Things like air miles, things like aeroplan points, member rewards points. These are all, even though they're miles or air miles, they're actually tied to a rewards card, not a travel card usually. Travel cards give you points or bonuses that you can spend on travel And then they give you access to a travel booking site where you can spend those points, usually. Rewards cards are going to give you points for everyday purchases. And if you wanted to spend those points on travel, you can. I know that was a little complicated. It took me a while to wrap my head around that one too. Amex is probably one of the best examples of a rewards cards. Because with American Express, you get member rewards points or MR points. And depending on what you use that card for, the ratio of points to dollars spent is going to be different. Another really cool thing about rewards points is that they don't typically expire unless you cancel the card or there's something fraudulent that happens with your points. The really cool thing about rewards cards is that the points don't actually expire unless you cancel the card. Also, if you're upgrading your card, you can lose your points. So always, always, always make sure that you spend the rewards before then or call and ask if they're transferred over to the new card. But even in that case, if they tell you that it's transferred over and, you know, you have like thousands of dollars that you could potentially lose out on, I would triple check. I would try to get it in writing if you could in an email just so that you have physical proof that somebody told you that in conversation in case they don't transfer over properly, which I've seen that happen to people on Reddit. When it comes to redeeming points, a really key strategy is to redeem them efficiently. So I mentioned that the ratio of points to dollars is going to differ depending on what you spend it on. Rewards points are going to give you different ways to redeem your points. And there's always one way that gives you a higher redemption rate. So for example, when I redeem my Amex points, I usually put that towards hotels and flights because I know that they go the furthest this way. I get the maximum value for my points. And if we're talking about Amex, 
I also recorded a TikTok on my business, Platinum Amex. I absolutely love that one. I know it's available in a couple of different countries, but that one is a fantastic card. It does have a high annual fee, but the rewards are just fantastic. I know that was a lot. That was a lot of info, but hey, that's why you listen to the Miss Independent Show is it's packed with real insights and research so that you don't have to do this yourself. You could just sit back and listen or go for your walk and consume information. And even though you're you're listening, I can already kind of see the gears grinding in your mind, right? You're probably thinking, hmm, travel cards, rewards cards, cash back. What's, what's the right card for me and how do I pick one? So great question to have. Let me first clarify, card you signed up for when you were 18, probably not the card that's going to give you any of those benefits. No rewards, no cash back. So in that case, it's definitely time to upgrade. We're past due on the upgrade. And while you're doing that, you're probably going to get approved for a higher limit as well if you've been building your credit history properly. If you're someone who spends a lot of time traveling or spending in a different currency when you travel, two things you want to look for. A card with a great travel reward program where you can get points to book flights, use points to get flight upgrades. And second thing you want to look at is a card with no foreign transaction fees. If you don't travel often, but you spend a lot of time going out with friends, spending on food, on gas, you might want to look at a general rewards card. That would probably be the best. And in my opinion, it's always a good idea to have two cards, especially if you're traveling Because if one of them gets lost or stolen or has some sort of mechanical error, I don't know, the mag stripe isn't reading, whatever it is, you want to have a second option. And this happened to me countless times in Europe. I was robbed in a club once, had my wallet stolen. Um, Another time in in the middle of the St. Patrick's Day parade, when I was on exchange traveling, I had a little wallet in my pocket and I decided to learn how to Irish dance. And my wallet fell in the middle of the parade, never to be seen again. So in the middle of the parade, I had to call TD to cancel my cards. Um, but thankfully, they they were able to ship a new one out to me. Unfortunately, both my card and my backup card happened to be in that same wallet. So do not make that mistake. If you're traveling, have a backup card in a separate pocket, in your purse, and then one somewhere hidden somewhere else that you can use as a backup in case something happens. It's also a good idea to have two different cards with ranging benefits so that you can take advantage of different types of insurance and different types of perks. I mentioned the business Amex. That is my saving grace. I absolutely love that card. I put all my business expenses on it. And then for personal use, I have a general cashback card that I mentioned that I've been using for the past four or five years now. In the past three years, I've been able to accumulate quite a bit of cashback that I'm saving for my honeymoon. I also recently just applied for a travel-specific one because of all these travel expenses that are coming up. I don't want to pay foreign transaction fees. It doesn't seem like a lot, 2.5%, but hey, it adds up real quick. So I would say that mix is probably good. Having one cashback card and either one travel or rewards card. That's a good way to set yourself up. And obviously, obviously this goes without saying, but make sure you are paying both of these in full every month so you're building strong credit. Without having strong credit, you can't qualify to even rent a place. Landlords look at your credit score. You can't qualify to buy a property later on. You can't qualify to finance or lease a car if you wanted to as well. So having strong credit is super critical. And if you don't have strong credit, 
it sets you back. So start building good habits young. And if you're in a position where your credit is something that you're looking to improve, as long as you're staying within that 30% credit limit, so that credit utilization, and you're not maxing out your card, you're not carrying a balance, it will improve. It's just going to take a little bit of time. So hang in there. As long as you're living below your means, that situation will improve. And you can use credit karma to motivate yourself and stay on track of your credit score in a way that doesn't actually hurt your credit score. Another thing that you might want to do is set up pre-authorized payments on the card. Single Key has an awesome program. If you didn't listen to that episode with Filler, there was a really cool nugget in there where they have a product where you can actually put your rent on your credit card and you set it up as a pre-authorized payment so that it builds your credit history, which is awesome. Picking a credit card is going to be a very personal experience. Everybody has different goals, different lifestyles. So I'll let you do your own research, but I feel like you've got a pretty good understanding of how to pick one. So the last thing that I want to leave you guys with, this episode is nice and short and sweet, but the last thing that I want to leave you with is I want to talk about some of the hidden perks that I feel like most people don't know about because they don't spend time reading the fine print, but I do. So I'm going to tell you. And a lot of them are things that are non-traditional, like non-traditional types of insurance, not just medical, but rental car insurance. This one people talk about fairly often. Having insurance when you rent a car is mandatory in almost every country. But if you have a credit card with rental car insurance, you can actually decline the car rental agency's coverage. All you need to do is pay for the rental car with your credit card and you're going to be covered for damage. That being said, with rental cars and when you're at a rental car agency, you always want to read the fine print, especially to understand any kind of additional charges. That's definitely somewhere where reading a document that you're signing is really important. Another thing to note when it comes to insurance is credit card rental insurance is only going to cover vehicles with a suggested retail price of up to $85,000. And there are limits on how long you can actually rent the car for. So those are things that you want to look for in the fine print. Another thing to note is that third-party liability insurance typically is not included. And that's what protects you if you're sued or if you're threatened to be sued, which happens quite a bit in the U.S., So that's rental car insurance. On a lighter note, another perk of having a credit card is something that we go through all the time. Me personally, I don't know about you, but this happens to me all the time. If you drop your phone and it gets cracked, it gets broken, if your phone is lost or stolen, some credit card companies have mobile device insurance, which is going to cover phones, sometimes tablets, and it covers it from theft and loss. But for that insurance to apply, you need to charge either the full amount of the device to your credit card with mobile device insurance. And if you bought a phone with a payment plan, let's say from a provider, you need to be charging the monthly bill to your credit card. All credit cards that offer mobile device insurance are also going to set a cap for how much you can claim when you submit a claim. They also factor in depreciation, they factor in the deductible. So despite the fact that there is an additional cost sometimes when you're submitting a claim, if you, because you're not just going to get a free device, right? There's a claim that you need to make and there's a deductible. For iPhones, I've seen it be like $300 for a replacement, but hey, for a $1,600 phone, that's not bad. And getting something back is better than nothing. And where they make money, where most insurance companies make money, is if you look at the percentage of people that are actually going to claim this. 
but now I know you will because you listen to this if that happens too and you've got coverage. And the last one in this category is purchase assurance and extended warranty. Assurance is like security. It's similar to insurance and people often use the words interchangeably, but not grammatically correct. Insurance with an I is coverage that you get over a limited time. Whereas assurance with an A is going to apply to persistent coverage for extended periods of time. So insurance is a limited period of time. Assurance is an extended period of time. So purchase assurance, sometimes known as purchase security, like I said, helps you make sure that your purchases are covered if they are lost, damaged, stolen within a set time frame. So like 90 days after purchase. Where this comes in. Let me give you an example. And this is something that I saw on Instagram the other day. But this one woman, very well off, went shopping in San Francisco and she hit up all these stores. Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Hermes. I don't know. She had like massive amounts of designer bags and she put the bags in her trunk and then she went out to grab some lunch with a friend. She comes back out and her car's been broken into. All the designer purchases are gone because they were very visible and she also has a very, very flashy car. So in that case... The car is going to be dealt with with her car insurance company. Those purchases, had she made them on a card that has purchase assurance, she's going to get reimbursed for all of those purchases because of the theft. Had she purchased it on a debit card, she wouldn't have gotten anything back. So the next time you want to go out and buy a bunch of designer goods and then go for lunch, maybe try to hide them in your car, one. But two, also always make sure that you're buying them on your credit card. And obviously goes without saying, don't buy shit you can't afford. But if you are buying expensive things, put it on a credit card in case something happens to it and that way you're covered. There's also price protection where if something drops in price, you can get a different, you can get the difference refunded to you on your card if you find a lower price. So let's say you bought a new couch and it goes on sale on on a Black Friday sale three weeks after you bought it. If you bought on a credit card and you've got price protection, you can get a refund for the difference. You just need to submit a claim. There's also extended warranty. Extended warranty is a tricky one because what it does is it doubles your warranty that you already get with the manufacturer for an additional year. For this to apply, you also need to make the purchase. The entire cost of the good needs to be made on your credit card. And the extended warranty only kicks in once the manufacturer warranty is expired. Most credit cards that are on the market are going to double the manufacturer's warranty length for a maximum of one to two years, depending on the card. I've only seen one card that will triple it for a maximum of three years. So keep that in mind. Usually it's within one or two years extra. And if the warranty is only 30 days, you're going to be limited to only an extra 30 days. So total 60 days with the warranty doubling. You only get a full extra year if the original coverage is a year to begin with. Everything but the most basic types of cards have one of these or both of these. The last perk that I want to walk you through is lounge access. And I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up, my parents never had lounge access. We did quite a bit of traveling as a kid. I was really, really blessed and privileged with that. When I was 16, my parents pulled me out of school for three weeks to go backpacking in Thailand, which was like the highlight of my life. Like to this day, I remember that trip and I think back to it and it absolutely radically changed my frame of reference, and I got to meet so many incredible people from different cultures and 
just see the world in a completely different way. So incredibly, incredibly thankful for that. But despite how much traveling they did, we never had lounge access. And I think they just didn't have a card that gave them this access. But as an adult, that is like one of the biggest perks of traveling, in my opinion. I love getting to an airport a little bit earlier, sitting in a lounge, getting a free meal, having a drink, relaxing in like a big comfy reclining chair, working on misfindependent content using premium Wi-Fi where I'm not scrambling with like shitty airport Wi-Fi. And the premium bathrooms are not gross. Usually they're marble, they're beautiful, great for selfies. There's also different tiers of lounges I've learned and experienced. There's premium lounges and then there's extra premium lounges. And the best ones that I've been to are usually in international airports where people are flying and are spending quite a bit of time in layovers. They usually have showers. They usually have full-on buffets. And those usually have free alcoholic beverages as well. And then there's ones that are a little bit more shitty. Um, They have very limited buffets. There's one at Pearson, if you're flying in and out of Pearson. Um, Especially if you're flying early morning. They have like a breakfast buffet. And it has three things. It has baked beans, eggs, and and like coleslaw, which is kind of measly. But airport lounge access in general can be a pretty big perk. And it's an awesome way to start off a trip when you're relaxed instead of like stressing about getting to a flight. Some credit card companies give you lounge access. Plus they give you free lounge passes that you can share with friends and family. The business Amex gives you one free guest that you can bring. Each cardholder can bring a guest. And if you look at the value of the benefits, that could easily go well above $300, just considering that a lounge pass can be like $50, $52, I think it is now. So that in and of itself can offset any type of annual fees you might have to pay for a card. But not everyone's going to take advantage of them. If you don't travel, for example, then looking at lounge passes may not be something that's relevant to you at all. So between travel insurance, rental car insurance, free flights, free airport lounges, making sure that your phone is covered in case it is lost, stolen, damaged, between getting cash back in your pocket. Tell me why anyone would want to choose a debit card over a credit card. That's all for today, folks. Make sure you tune in next week for another episode of The Miss Independent Show. Ciao for now.